Hey, listen, I got to be up front with you. Um, a picture has surfaced from my past, and once you see it, you may not think of me the same way again. <laughs> I was young, okay? That's how those things always start. I was young. And, uh, you know, uh, someone approached me and said, could we take your picture? And it was like 30 years ago. And oh, I should just cut to the chase. Folks, I, I was a Bible model. That is me. I think I was 14 or 15 years old. What am I doing there? I'm holding a Bible. I'm standing out in the, the field like you do with your legs crossed. Like, why am I standing like that? I mean, I had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. What do the sheep have to do with anything? He leads, he restores, he guides. Am I the shepherd? Is God the shepherd? I don't know. But I will tell you that that hung in youth group rooms and in Sunday school rooms all across the country. And there was one church in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, where a young lady had that poster. She stuck it in her Bible. And on her day at Wheaton College, when she saw me, she opened that up and she said, wait a second, you're the guy. And that's how I met my wife. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. That, that would be an incredible story. Um, I wish that's what happened. No, it was just embarrassing, really, uh, to have that picture everywhere. What was more embarrassing is that they took another picture that day. They handed me a backpack, told me to walk down the street with a young lady. And we were walking down the street, and they took our picture, and I didn't think anything of it. A few months later, I'm in Sunday school class with all of my friends, and we're going through a curriculum. And we turn the page, and there's the picture of me and the young lady walking down the street. Underneath the picture, the caption reads, Scott has invited Amy home to his house to help him with math homework, but Scott has more than homework on his mind. 14 years old, they turned me into a monster, all right? Listen, I mean, there are times in my life that, you know, I've stood up for my faith. I've stood out among the crowd, but that was one that I was just kind of embarrassed about. Have you ever been embarrassed to stand out in the crowd? You ever been embarrassed that maybe, maybe it was something you believed in, like a conviction you had or whatever, and you, so you sort of stood up among the group, and, and how did you feel in that moment, because here's the thing, there, there have been times that I've done it and it's felt right, there's been times that I've done it, but it's never easy, and I don't always want to be that person that, that sticks their neck out, you know, but what's really funny to me, uh, or at least interesting, is that though there are some times that I don't want to be that person that's standing up and standing out, I always admire the people that do. I always admire it when someone's strength of conviction gets to the place where they're courageous enough to say, no, 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 I will stand up. I will stand for this. I will, you know. And, and, and I think all of us sort of admire people like that. That's why we love movies like Braveheart. That's why we love movies like Schindler's List. That's why we love those moments in movies where people just say, hey, I'm all in and, and I don't care what it takes. But you know what's better than it even being in a movie is when it's real life. And Nelson Mandela is in prison for 27 years as he stands up against injustice and fights apartheid in, in South Africa. 
Or it's Mother Teresa who not only stands up for the poor, but stands with the poor and the unborn. And we admire her life. Or it's uh, Malala Yousafzai. Have you heard of this girl? 11 years old, she first begins speaking boldly, publicly, out that girls in Pakistan should be able to get an education. And at 15 years old, she's shot in the face, but that does not deter her. She comes back and speaks even louder and ends up winning the Nobel Peace Prize. And you just want to cheer her on. And here we are at the beginning of September, and I remember back in 2001 when those planes hit those towers, and in the subsequent weeks hearing about people that, that, that could have run away, but first responders who turned around against the flow of the crowd and went back in to help, risking everything for something Greater. There's something about that that just inspires me, that makes my heart beat faster, that makes me say, I, I, think, I think that's what I want to be true of my life. But there are, it also sort of holds up a mirror to me at times and says, but is this true of your life, Dave? And so let me hold the mirror up to you. Is it true of your life? Do you, are you somebody that has that strength of conviction, that courageous conviction that would stand up for something that you believe in. Or let me ask you this. Do you have something that's worth standing up for? Martin Luther King Jr., an incredible example of what I'm talking about today. He said this, a man who has nothing he is willing to die for has nothing worth living for. Think about that. A man who has nothing he's willing to die for really has nothing worth living for. Today, I want to introduce you to a guy in the Bible who really had everything to lose, okay? Um, this is a guy of, of wealth, of, of power, of prestige. He had a comfortable life. He was in the creme de la creme of his society. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I, I want you to look at John 3. This guy is someone that risked it all for something he believed. If, no, better said, he risked it all for someone, that he believed in. Let's read this together. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a, a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. So the, the Pharisees were sort of like, just imagine judges. And the Sanhedrin were like the Supreme Court of the judges. There were about 70 of them. They would have known each other. They would have discussed uh, cases or, or theology together, so they would have had uh, this community. He came to Jesus at night. This is the original Nick at night, okay? He comes to Jesus at night, Nicodemus, and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And we are introduced to Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He has seen, or maybe not seen, probably more likely he's heard of the things that were happening because of Jesus. There were blind people who, were, who, who, who now had sight. There were, there were lame people who were now dancing down the street, worshiping God. There were now lepers who had been shut away in leper colonies who were now at home embracing their family in community. 
And Nicodemus was hearing these things and going, wow, there's just something different about this guy. He's leaning in. He's, he's wanting to know, like, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is somebody that could maybe fill some of the void in my own life. You know, he's just leaning in. He's curious. He wants to know. But he comes to Jesus at night in the darkness because at this point, he doesn't want any of his colleagues to know that he's actually curious about Jesus. I'm going to call this his concealed curiosity phase. His concealed curiosity phase. And he comes to Jesus in the dark. And can we just stop right there and say, thank you, Jesus, that you meet us in the darkness. Because the truth is that there are people that are sitting in this room today. There are people that are watching this online today. There are people at all of our locations who are literally experiencing the darkness. Maybe you have or maybe you're in it right now or maybe you'll experience it in the future. But you've experienced the darkness of depression. You've experienced the darkness of debt and what that feels like to be under a mountain of obligation and not sure how you're going to climb out of it. The pressure of that can be um, can be immense. Or maybe it's the, the darkness of disease. And you're struggling with that. It's a chronic thing, and it goes again and on again and again and again. And the doctors can't tell you what's going on, and you're not sure what to do next. Or maybe it is. Maybe it's the, 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 the darkness of a, of, of a downturn in the economy or a downsizing. I mean, I have been a part of organizations. Whenever downsizing is mentioned, it doesn't matter if you're the boss or if you're an employee. It, it just everybody's morale is hurt. Maybe it's the darkness of death. And you've experienced maybe even this past year that dark feeling when, when soil is cast upon the casket of a loved one. I mean, those are some dark days. Or maybe for you it's the darkness of death because it's a death, it's your own. It's, it's, a doctor has looked at you and said, there's not a lot of of hope, And I, I just want to say to you, man, if you're in the darkness, I just want you to say, Jesus will meet you. He can meet you in the darkness. And there are going to be lots of people around you right now who are remembering how Jesus has met them in their darkness, the moments that Jesus met them in their darkness. And they are going to applaud right now to encourage you and let you know how Jesus can meet you in the darkness of depression, and Jesus can meet you in the darkness of death, and Jesus can meet you in the darkness of doubt, and Jesus can meet you in the darkness. And I love that Jesus basically, you know, he comes in the dark. How many of us would have said, hey, I have office hours from nine to five, pal. And yet Jesus always has time for us. And he comes and he has questions for Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't shame him. He doesn't look at this guy and say, I thought you were a religious leader, sort of a, a creme de la creme. You're like the Supreme Court of the religious leaders. You should know better. No, Jesus meets him right where he is, and it sets up a moment that really has become probably the most often quoted moment in the Bible. If you've ever been to a sporting event, you've probably seen a poster with this verse quoted on it. 
Because what Jesus looked at Nicodemus and decided that Nicodemus really needed to know in that moment is, Nicodemus, you need to understand, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And in the midst of the darkness, Jesus gives Nicodemus that hope. It's a concealed curiosity. Um, But then it moves on. You see, Nicodemus, his faith doesn't stop there. He shows up a couple other times in Scripture. And so with your permission, I'd love to just walk you through those because I see, I feel like I see his faith growing. See if you don't agree with me. As you fast forward to John chapter 7, this four chapters later, we step into this moment where Jesus has been teaching at the festival of the tabernacles. This is a festival that the Jewish people had observed for hundreds of years as they celebrate the fact that they used to be in the wilderness and they used to only have manna and quail, but now they're in the promised land and so they had grapes and they had honey and they had milk and they had all these different things. And so they would do this festival in the September, actually, when the harvest would come in and they would bring all the food and all the harvest and all this great stuff and they would set up little tents or, or tabernacles or, or actually the, the word, the word is, is sukkah, is the word there, sukkah. They would, they would set up these sukkahs and uh, they would put all the food. And so just imagine like a Jewish Thanksgiving or like a taste of Jerusalem, because <laughs> this, this feast of joy. Now the problem was there were a lot of fights that would happen because everybody was walking around going, look at that sucker, look at that sucker. Thank you so much for laughing at that. That was not a good joke, but you love me and I appreciate it. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching revolutionary things. He's basically saying, listen, um, all of the rigmarole, <laughs> the rules, um, dare I say the, the religion of those Pharisees, all that extra stuff that they've put on. You just need to know that you don't need to go through all that to get to God. It's about a personal relationship with me. Like Jesus was revolutionizing or revolutionary in his teaching. And it was frustrating the Pharisees. They were getting really mad. So what they did was they called up the temple guard. These were the Levites, and they sent these guys out to do the dirty work. They said, please go, you officers go, and you bring Jesus to us because we're going to deal with this. So the officers are going out. They come back. But what's really, I think, funny is in John seven forty six, they come back and they go, um, we don't have Jesus. What, well, you couldn't find him? No, no, that wasn't it. What happened? And they say, well... Nobody ever spoke like that guy. And Jesus' teaching won them over. Is that not amazing to you? Like, I love that. And it makes sense to me because for me, like, I've only, I've only read some of Jesus' teaching. I've only read, do not worry. Like, God will take care of the birds in the, uh, birds in the air and the, the, the flowers of the field, and he can take care of you. And I've only, I've only read in the Gospels where Jesus taught, love your neighbor and love your enemy. And I've only read, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which means I can get past my past. Like, that kind of stuff to me is, is just revolutionary. And I've that's changed my life, and I've only read it. I can't imagine being these guys and actually being in the presence of Jesus 
and having him teach to me. I mean, they, they were literally sent to arrest him, but because of his teaching, they were like, we, we can't. Like, there's just something about this guy. And they come back, and it's so frustrating to the, uh, to the Pharisees. And so they start to mock these guys. In John 4, uh, 7, 47, you've not also been led astray, have you? Not one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in this guy. Like, we're smart enough not to, not to succumb to this guy. Uh, in verse 49, but this multitude which is to, who doesn't know the law is accursed. <laughs> you feeble-minded people that you don't, you're not experts in the law, therefore Jesus has been able to, to, to brainwash you. And so they mocked them. But in that moment, they heard something. They heard someone speak up. They heard someone sort of stand up for Jesus, and it was none other than one of their own, our guy, Nicodemus. He said in verse 50, Nicodemus said to them, our law doesn't judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? He's basically saying, hey, slow your roll, guys. Like, in the law, it says that if we don't hear what this guy's teaching, if we, we don't observe it ourselves, we can't really condemn him. So, you know, and that was kind of a brave little deal that he did right there. Now, it, it was no... Um, you know, declaration of faith. It wasn't like he came out and said, I am one of his disciples. It's not like he went all in, but, but, but he does show evidence of what I would call sort of a growing personal conviction that some of his questions are starting to get answered and he sort of has what I'm gonna call a covert, undercover kind of conviction. He's got conviction and maybe it's growing, but it's still just sort of, undercover. And I will tell you guys this. I think this is, um, this is the place in people's spiritual journey that there's a real danger uh, that, that, that people often will get stuck. I, I mean, I, I, know, I, I know I did. Like I, I showed you a picture. That was literally from the time in my life when I was stuck right there in covert uh, a covert conviction. Like I had some convictions, I believed some things, but I kind of kept it to myself. Like on Sunday morning, I probably was the poster child for, you know, Sunday school. I, I answered the questions in Sunday school, you know, Jesus, God, read the Bible, pray, go to church, which is always the answer in Sunday school, one of those five. Not a lot of Sunday school attenders here, but you know, if you did, you know what I'm talking about. It's like always was one of those. Um, but then on Friday night, kind of did what I wanted to do. And, I, and honestly, the picture's embarrassing, but this is probably even more embarrassing, that I, I would go to church on Sunday, and then on Friday night, I would say stuff I shouldn't say and do stuff I should not do. I was kind of like one foot in and one foot out. I mean, I had some convictions, but I, I didn't let it change my priorities. I didn't let it change what I did. I didn't let it change how I talked. I didn't let it change who I hung out with. I, I never stood up for my faith. I, I would go to church and I was religious and then I would kind of do whatever I wanted the rest of the week. And I just don't know if that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. <laughs> in fact, I will tell you this, the more that I have watched people who are really all in, 
the Nicodemuses and the, the, the Mandelas and the, 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 um, you know, the, the people that, that are sold out. Like, see, I'm starting to realize that a, that a covert, half-in, half-out, secret conviction is not really a conviction at all. Does that make sense? And I don't know if that's true. You're going to have to decide for yourself. I'm just saying, if I've got a conviction, I believe for myself that if I have a conviction that does not change the way I talk and the way I act and the way I live, and if it doesn't change my priorities, then it's not really a conviction at all. See, I think that's what baptism is supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be that moment where we say, okay, I might have been one foot in, one foot out. I might have been checking things out. I might have been uh, uh, coming to, you know, curiously uh, questioning or, you know, that sort of thing. But like today is the day I'm all in. I know it was in the New Testament. I know it was because the, the Christians back then, they had to swear allegiance to, to Caesar. I mean, any moment a Roman uh, guard could put you up against the wall and say, you know, say it. And you had to say Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't, you, I mean, you, you could have your, your business shut down. You could have your family thrown in prison. You, I mean, punishable by death. They could confiscate your stuff. I mean, you, know, you had to say it. Caesar is Lord. That's why Romans 10.9 is, is, is so amazing. There's a lot there. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. It was literally talking about what they would say at their baptisms. At their baptisms, they had to publicly say, sort of renounce Caesar by saying, Jesus is Lord. And then they would go down, and then the people would cheer, like, yes, welcome to the family. You're all in. This is amazing. And, you know, people will still, in this day and age, they will, they will still make that kind of decision, this courageous conviction kind of decision. A friend of mine was in Cambodia and went to a church service and the pastor had a call at the end of the service for anyone that wanted to give their life to Jesus. They could be baptized that day and a, a woman came and she was baptized and my friend uh, said he noticed over here while she'd gotten up, he, he looked over and there was a full set of luggage, packed, set, of luggage, and after the service, he went up to the pastor and he said, I, I'm so excited the woman got baptized. That's really cool. What's the luggage for? And the pastor said, Well, you need to understand when she comes to give her life to Christ, her, this means that her father will, will abandon her, will kick her out, her family will kick her out, her community, her village will kick her out. And so, her decision today to give her life to Christ is the decision to walk out on her past life and start a brand new life. And she's moving to a new community that will welcome her. And I think about that, and I'm just, don't you just want to, I just cheer that on. And that's why, I, you know, when I see some of the pictures that Sean showed, the baptism service, like that's, we have an opportunity to make that kind of all-in, courageous conviction decision. That is amazing. And, and, and Sean uh, shared with you the baptisms here. I want to tell you, like, for the whole uh, of church, there were 184 people who stepped forward and said, I am all in. I am all in for Jesus. I will live out loud in every one of our campuses, every one of our locations has somebody that gave their life uh, to Christ and went, and, and went forward with their faith. It's just so cool to me. Well, um, 
Nicodemus, he goes from concealed curiosity, moves to what I would call maybe a covert, undercover conviction. Uh, but he doesn't stop there, okay? And I, I'll wind up with this. This is sort of a third move in his faith. Um, eventually, the Sanhedrin, uh, that group of Jewish leaders, they, they couldn't put up with Jesus any longer, and they, they called for his arrest, a trial, which is a farce of a trial, really, falsely accused, and yet he was convicted. And so they marched him out to Pilate. He said, Pilate, you gotta, you gotta deal with this. And um, I mean, if you've ever been to an Easter service, you, you know the story. Jesus, crown of thorns on his head, and his clothes ripped from him, uh, whipped on his back, asked to carry a heavy wooden cross on that, freshly whipped back up a hill, mocked by people the entire time, things thrown, things spitting. He gets up to the top of the hill, they lay the cross down, they lay Jesus down on the cross, and for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. At some point in that story, Nicodemus went all in. I can only imagine that it, it was in watching Jesus, who, who didn't go halfway up the hill, who didn't just have one spike put in, who, who didn't you know, just kind of go halfway. He wasn't covert in his convictions. Jesus, who allowed his convictions to compel him to take our place on the cross so that we would have a shot at forgiveness and life eternal. I mean, once you see that kind of courageous conviction, how do you respond with anything less? And so Nicodemus basically goes all in. Let, let me show you some evidence of that. In John 19, 38, uh, later, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Luke 23 tells us Joseph is another one of the, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And Joseph asks Pilate for the body of Jesus while it's hanging on the cross. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. <laughs> Does that remind you of anybody? But with Pilate's permission, he came in and he took the body away. And he, uh, he was accompanied by, look, Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, you need to know that the, the, with, with the myrrh and the aloe, 75 pounds of that adjusted for our economy, plus the, the, the burial plot, is probably a six-figure financial commitment that these guys make in this moment. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and the strips of linen. Now, what's interesting about that is that these guys were, uh, uh, they were religious leaders. They were gonna have to, to, to go to festival and, and go on the Sabbath uh, to, uh, you know, to offer the sacrifices and conduct the religious uh, rites. And they weren't gonna be able to do that had they ever touched a dead body. In their tradition, that would have made them unclean. Normally, if they were ever gonna deal with a body off of a cross, they would have sent someone to do that. A servant, perhaps, but these guys, it was personal for them. If you're a Bible scholar, I'll throw this in there as a 
fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9, that Jesus would be with the rich in his death. But they put the spices and the strips of linen, which was in accordance with Jewish burial customs, and I would just stop right there, and I would just say, at some point, Nicodemus went all in. I know that because at some point, he or Joseph, one of them, looked at each other and sort of took a risk and said, I, I've been kind of watching Jesus. Yeah, me too. i got to be honest, he's making a lot of sense. I feel the same way. i got to be honest, I'm one of his disciples. Like at some point, there was a risky conversation about spiritual things that was had with one of his friends, one of his co-workers, one of, one of the people that were close to him. And if you, if you have ever tried to live out loud with friends or family or coworkers or neighbors, you know, like even though you have a relationship with people, there's still this sort of risky moment when you're like, I go to, I go to Willow. Would you like to come? You know. <laughs> you're running on a treadmill and you're trying to figure out like, what's a good transition? Are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired too. Tired of sin? Oh yeah, I'm really tired. You know, like, how do you, I don't know. I don't always know the best way to kind of, you know, make it the transit, but you know it can be like this risky thing. But they did it. Because Nicodemus was all in. The other thing he did was, I mean, here's what I think about money. Okay, just so you know, I think money is just a measure, and just like time. And the way that you invest your time and the way that you invest your money, those are your priorities. Does that make sense? So you can tell me that your priority is your family. But if you're never home, then that's not your priority because that's not where your time is. Does that make sense? So for me, I'm like, you show me your calendar and your checkbook, that's your priorities. And this guy says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go six figures in to be personally involved in caring for the body of Jesus. I think his priorities have all shifted too. And they go to Pilate to perform you know, this public act, like these two very well-known creme de la creme, upper crust people, they're at the foot of the cross dealing with the blood and dealing with the dirt and dealing with the body of Jesus and they're bringing it down and everybody must have been going, what? I mean, you talk about raising eyebrows among some of those Sanhedrin guys. Those guys must have been going, what are these two guys doing? And then the questions that would have followed and then the threat that that would have been to their career, these guys are putting everything on the line to say we are all in, we want to live out loud, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we could not be more excited about it. I love Nicodemus in the Bible. What a great example of what so often happens with us. What begins as sort of this concealed curiosity. I've got some questions, I'm not quite sure. And in fact, can I say to you, if that's you, maybe follow Nicodemus' example. You know, what he did is he asked questions and even went to someone and got serious. Like, he didn't just have questions, he did something about it. And I would encourage you, if you're here, you're watching this online, like, maybe go to a pastor or go to somebody that you trust and as somebody that invited you to church. I don't know, but go to somebody and say, here's the thing, like I'm interested in Jesus, but I've got a serious question right here that I just can't get past and talk about it. And maybe that helps us move forward. 
Maybe you're somebody that, um, that is in that sort of half in, half out. And I would say baptism is that moment. And maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe for you, you need to actually get in front of a bunch of people and get dunked in water as a way to say, I am all in for Jesus. I love Paul talks about the symbolism of baptism, the idea of like our sins being washed away, of us being buried and leaving our old life behind and being born again to a new, new life. It's just amazing. And maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you need to get into community. Did I, did I talk about that enough that, that, that he and Joseph, Nicodemus and Joseph, they, they sort of bonded in their journey? And by doing that, I believe it gave them courage to courageously um, exhibit their convictions. And that's what I find in a small group. Is that in a small group, I go, wait a second, you've got some of the same questions as me. Wait a second, you're struggling with some of the same things that I'm struggling with. And there's something empowering about that. There's something encouraging about that. There's something where I kind of walk out of small group, I walk out of community, and I'm like, you know what? I can do this another week. I can follow Jesus. I mean, I encourage you. Maybe that's your next step. Get involved in a small group. Um, everybody who's here, can I give you a next step that I think, because I think all of us are kind of on that spiritual journey, and I would just encourage you to maybe look behind you and extend a hand and invite someone to church. I think that's a huge way to live out loud, and in particular, man, Sean's going to come up and just talk to you about this in, in just a little bit, but Man, the next four weeks, we've got so many just awesome things planned around here on the weekends, and it would just be an incredible moment for you to kind of put a stake in the sand and go, you know what, I'll go public by inviting a friend. You'll do much better than my treadmill conversation. You'll do much better than that, I promise. And studies say that 50% of the people will say yes. How cool is that? That you could be someone that makes a difference in someone else's life. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. We're coming to the close here, but I guarantee if I asked you right now, how many of you came because someone else invited you? Hands would go up all over the place. Am I right? Just kind of nod your masked head right now. Yes. Yes, I see you. Man, my prayer for you is that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, that you'd look at Nicodemus and not so much let him challenge you oppressively, but let him inspire you. Let, let him be like one of those movies or like one of those people in our world that's, that's taking a stand and taking a step forward. And let that inspire you. And you go, you know what? If that guy could do that, I could too. Guess my prayer for you is that whatever your next step is with God, that you'd take it. You'd take it.